Join us, have a seat, try to find a little bit of shade. It's another beautiful day in Truckee. Well, welcome to church. Good morning. Good morning, Sierra Bible Church. We've got a little bit more shade up here if you guys want to come up, grab a seat. Hopefully you brought one. If not, you're going to sit on the hot asphalt or stand. Anyway, it's a joy to have you guys here. Welcome everybody online. Uh, we hope that you guys too are having a, a beautiful day. And um, even if you're watching us a little bit later, you're probably enjoying the sunshine and the beauty that we're in. Uh, welcome um, to as we gather together in fellowship and, and start to study God's word together. We live in this amazing place that has mountains and valleys. And I don't know where you guys are at this week, but it was a valley for me, and uh, just a tough week, one of those times where you wonder, why is God so quiet? Why is he not answering? And yet, he tests our faith in those moments, and you got to remember, at least I did, it's like, Lord, okay, I, I, my t faith is being tested, and I remember, Lord, your word, your promises in your word, that you are sovereign, that all of this is, is a plan that you have for me, and um, that I need to trust you and remembering those things, and it's good. And for those of us that love him, all things do work together for good. And um, I was reading a little bit about Paul again this week and, and remembering his letter to the Thessalonians where he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Pray without ceasing and thank him in all circumstances that this is the will of God. That is, our, that is God's will for us this week. And so whatever you guys are going through this week, Let's praise him for who he is. Let's do that together. Please stand with me and let's sing, Blessed Be God's Name. darkness 
Bless your name, Father, for you are good, you are great. Our loving Father, thank you for choosing us to be your children, God. Through your grace, Lord, through your grace, we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Through suffering, through joy, through it all, you are our joy. And so there we can, we can rejoice in you always.
sing his praise. All the earth shout. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. together, Lord, as your children to worship you this morning, to declare your goodness and your love for us, O oh God, that you sent your son, Jesus, to forgive us of our sins, to leave us with your spirit, Lord, and your grace to be able to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. to worship, here I am to bow 
So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. Yes, Lord. We bow our hearts down before you this morning. Teach us your word, Lord. Give us ears to hear it. Reveal your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give them a hand. Say thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, well, good morning. Let me make sure I'm on. Okay, can you hear me okay? Yeah? Good morning. <laughs> welcome. Jesus, that's right. I want to say Jesus. Hey, welcome to uh, Sierra Bible Church. If uh, I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Jesse, and uh, for the most part, I, I get to teach uh, on Sunday mornings, and I'm thankful and glad to do so. And, and again, I'm just thankful to see all of your faces, to see you here, uh, and just I, I love the creativity on how everyone spreads out. There's shade here and there, and um, <clears throat> thank you for those of you who brought some extra tents. We appreciate it. We did order a, a massive tent to help, um, but it, like everything else in our culture and our society right now, it's on back order, so... Uh, continue to be creative, and, and if you have shade, bring it. Uh, great, keep you out of the sun. I know it gets kind of hot um, out there. And it's, and you can see everyone kind of just spreads into the shade, and then around there's all that empty space right there in the middle where there's no shade. So uh, we're glad to have you. And then a couple things that I'll make note of. Make sure uh, if you haven't connected with us yet, jump on sbctrucky.com, uh, and on there will be a place for you to sign up for our newsletter so you can see the Bible studies we have going on. Uh, and all of the events that we we are trying to still kind of do. So obviously, uh, due to the virus and all of that, everything's kind of up in the air, and we continue to be flexible and, and, and willing to change with whatever kind of things we need to do. So pray for us, because it is still a weird season. In fact, this is a reprieve for us, so for the leadership here, uh, being outside helps us kind of avoid some of the politicking and, and just some of the cultural stuff that makes people upset. Uh, but we know that in Truckee, California, uh, winter is coming. So pray for us because we don't know, you know, what it's going to look like once uh, we have to go inside, but that's a, it's a little bit of a ways away, uh, but we're still praying that through. Uh, and then if you want to say a big howdy, how do you do, Pastor Wayne is back outside, so you say hi to Wayne here. Looking like a million bucks. Good to have you back, man. We love you. Been praying for you. 
Um, yep, little oxygen tank. Um, <clears throat> if you would, turn to Exodus uh, and go to chapter 27. I'm going to cover another big segment. And again, I, I would encourage you, as we did last week, uh, during the week, to kind of go in uh, on your own in some of these chapters that we're moving uh, kind of fast through these chapters. But remember now that ultimately God has brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, that, that they were in exile, first of all, really from God, uh, but they were in bondage, which represents for us the, the kind of bondage that sin brings. God brings them out, and then he, he's bringing them out ultimately to draw them into himself. And so we saw last week how God had uh, told Moses, you're going to build a tent, you're going to build a tabernacle, and within this tabernacle are going to be particular uh, decorations, particular representations of things about me. It's a picture of his home. It's a picture of God saying, ultimately, ultimately, he wants to make uh, his home with us. He wants to live with us. He wants to live among us. Uh, and, and, and really, it, it's funny because last night I, I was uh, lying in bed and I had a dream. This happens to me every now and then. But I was dreaming that I was just hammering home uh, this idea that God has tabernacled. He is tented amongst us. And I was screaming at you, and I was yelling at you, and I jumped down the stage and started running around through the crowd and stuff uh, and to just drive home again the reality that our ultimate, our ultimate need, our ultimate uh, desire is to be in the presence of God more than anything else. That's why, my friends, ultimately we recognize two things to be true. One thing that is true is that as Christians, we are called to find time alone to be with God, to be in the presence of God that the relationship with God really, really matters, that the personal relationship with Jesus Christ is kind of a big deal. But we also recognize something else that's true, and that is that, that this relationship that we have with Jesus is not just personal and private, but it is also public, it's corporate. And that's why it's important for us as a church to continue to do what we can to gather as a church, because the relationship with Jesus Christ is never just private and personal, it's also public and we're to proclaim it. And so it's kind of, I think, a beautiful thing in a season like this to stand out whether people like it or not, that they can hear the proclamation and the gathering of the saints worshiping Jesus Christ. And you also have to understand that the culture has told you and has told me as a, as a Christian, you know, you can have your faith in God, but keep it to yourself. Uh, and my friends, that is totally anti-biblical. We're to share our faith with as many people as possible. And we're to gather together because we recognize that when we gather, God is doing something in us that he doesn't just do privately. Uh, so don't get me wrong, it's both and. And so we have this experience one-on-one uh, -on -one with Christ, and then we have an experience where we come together where we see that God is working in all of us. And that's my hope in this season. My hope in this season is that God is amongst us. He's living amongst us, and he's working in our lives. C.S. Lewis actually said something along these lines. You've probably heard this quote before. He says, if I find myself desires which nothing in the world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And so the tabernacle points us to this other world, this presence with God. Again, to quote Augustine, as I did last week, he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So ultimately, God says, I want to make a home for you. Now, in chapter 27, 28, and, and through all the way through 30, we get 
introduced to those that live in the temple to, well, they don't live in it, but they work in it. That's the priesthood, the royal priesthood. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, this holy priesthood. And just like last week, if you remember, we saw that God tabernacled uh, in the Garden of Eden, and then man and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, and then God comes in the tent and he tabernacles amongst us in the tent. Then God comes and tabernacles amongst us in Jesus, in the flesh, and then ultimately God tabernacles within our own hearts so that we become the tent, we become the tabernacle, the home of God. Now, likewise, we're going to see this introduction of the priests who do something for us. They go before God for us on our behalf. That's what the priesthood does. Uh, And then later, Jesus becomes the ultimate priest, and then we also become priests. So just as there is kind of a, a, a traveling through the Old Testament to the New Testament with the tabernacle, there's also this traveling of this priesthood. So ultimately, you're going to see this priesthood lands on you and I. We become priests. And we're going to be, in the text this morning, we're going to see the description of what the priests wore, that, that clothing kind of matters. Now, uh, some of you might remember some of these things, some of you don't, but uh, there's this kind of outdated ideology the culture has, and that ideology is that they kind of the, the culture believes that really we're okay, right? We don't we don't need to worry about guilt, uh, we don't need to worry about shame. We're ultimately good people, uh, and, and we don't think that we really have to have to go before a God who's holy. And this idea that God is holy and that we're not holy, and that that the idea that someone needs to go before us before God is kind of this outdated cultural idea, but, but ultimately I think it runs in culture even though they don't realize it. That ultimately we still, still realize that, that we're not good enough to go before God. And here's how we kind of know this. So have you ever been to a, a restaurant that requires you to wear a particular kind of clothing? Mavis is the only one, okay? The rest of us, we don't make enough money to go to those restaurants, okay? Um, okay, a couple more, a few more. All right, all right. Now, now, <laughs> Now, if you go to that restaurant and you don't wear the right thing, you feel it. You, you feel kind of like lower class. In fact, when I was being trained a, a, as a pastor, uh, we used to do these Wednesday night things down in San Diego, and it was called Chapter and Verse. And, and it was a Wednesday night Bible study. About 1,500 to 2,000 people would go to this Bible study every single Wednesday night. And uh, it was an amazing thing to be a part of. And I'm just this young guy. I was in my 20s and a single, and, and, and I'm learning what it is to be in ministry and they're pouring into me. And then all of a sudden, right before the service starts, uh, the pastor comes up and says, Jesse, I want you to do announcements. And I was like, okay. And it was like last minute, I'm about to speak in front of 1,500 people, and, and I'm a little nervous. And he goes, he looks at me and he goes, do you have another shirt? <laughs> Which, I, I'm a guy, I'm in my 20, no, I don't have another shirt. This is the one that was clean, this is what I'm wearing. Uh, and, and, then, and then he said, he looks at another pastor who was also being trained, and he had a nice button up on, and he said, Jesse's going on stage. Garrett, take your shirt off. Give it to Jesse. Jesse, give your shirt to Garrett. Get on stage. Do the announcements. It was a lesson for me in that, rea- in that moment that, that I needed to present myself a particular way uh, on the stage to a particular group of people. Now, now in Truckee, we've gone through over the years. Uh, so one of the fun things being outside is several of you ask me on, have asked me on Sundays, are you preaching? Because I'm in sandals, and you can see my tattoos, and I'm not wearing a button-up shirt, and I have a hat on. And so there's this natural kind of inclination that, that a pastor, a priest, has to look a particular way. And, and I've always kind of enjoyed, to a degree, 
blowing that out of the water. That, 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 that God does not care what's on the outside of a person. He cares what's on the inside of a person. That he's deeply concerned about who we are on the inside and not the outside. And over the years, Sierra Bibles had all kinds of weird little things where, you know, Brad's taken flack for wearing sandals in the past. We've joked about that. He's wearing shoes today, which is, uh, why are you wearing shoes, bro? Um, the, the, we're outside. It's hot. And he's got shoes on. The one time, surprised he doesn't have a sweater and pants on just to... It, it, so, and, and over the years, people have, have, have expressed, we had one couple at one point, uh, really just concerned that the pastors didn't wear uh, nice enough clothing on Sundays. Now, we live in Tahoe, and, and we're in California, and so we're a little looser with that, but that still exists. We ultimately still judge people by what's on the outside, even though we know ultimately we shouldn't, but we should. We should be deeply concerned, not about the outward man, but the inward man, and so as we dump, jump into this text, uh, I want you uh, to see a couple things about the outward experience here, and we'll start going deeper into the inward, uh, and, and for you and for my own life. So uh, if you, again, love the Word of God and you have the ability to uh, this morning, would you please stand with me as we read uh, these verses? And again, uh, we stand not because it's just tradition. We stand because, man, we are so blessed that God has spoken through His Holy Word to His people. Chapter 27, I want you to look at verse 20. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may be regularly be set up to burn in the tent of the meeting outside of the veil that is before the testimony. And Aaron, who is the priesthood, we'll get to them here in a moment, and his son shall tend to this lamp from evening till morning before the Lord. It shall be a statue forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Now jump to chapter 28, go to verse 1. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, Ithmar, and you shall make holy garments for for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, a turban, and a sash, and they shall make holy garments before Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen." Verse 20, chapter 28, verse 9, you shall take two onyx stones and engrave them on the names of Israel, all 12. And this is the word of the Lord. And the church said, amen. You may be seated. Okay. First of all, the reason I read chapter 27, verse 20 is, again, just, just to backtrack a little bit, right? God's people have been taken out of, out of Egypt into this new land, this tent is movable, it can be moved, and God decorates this tent of meeting with the most beautiful pieces of gold and jewelry that you can imagine. It it all echoes back, if you remember, it all echoes back to the Garden of Eden. So God, in essence, is saying to his people, and he's saying to us as well, I want you back in the garden with me. I want you with me. Uh, And he tells us in chapter 
27, verse 20, the, the first verse we read, he says, you'll tell the people that there's going to be, the priesthood is going to attend to this lamp. Remember, this lamp represents the tree of life. It represents, uh, it represents light, that God is light, that he is life for us. It's, it's got the, the, this idea again of going back into the Garden of Eden, and it's the only source of light within this this tabernacle within this tent, which later would become the temple, which later becomes you. And I want you to know, they say, keep this, this light lit from morning until evening. All of this is to be said that in God's house, the light is always on. God is always welcoming us. In fact, if you remember, there's a table inside the temple with 12 loaves of bread that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So not only is the light on, but there's food ready for you. This, this I think, if you, if you look at this uh, a little bit and you drive it into the New Testament, to me, I think it's reminiscent of understanding the, the, the story of the prodigal son who takes off in his sin and his depravity. He rejects God. He comes to a place of repentance. He goes back to his father. And, and as he's coming back home, the father's light is on. The home is open to him. There is an embrace. He takes his robe. He clothes the prodigal son with his own robe, and he makes for him a meal, and he welcomes him back into the home of God. Can I just, can I just say by extension, whether, whether you're within earshot this morning, whether you're behind the fence and you can hear me, whether you're, whether you're online, which we're live right now, which is incredible, thanks to Brad and Caleb for figuring it out this week. So, so whoever's at home still, they can see us live. Whether, whether you're, you're watching online, whether you're listening on iTunes, can, can we just say that God knows that your relationship with him may be possibly broken or fractured or not what you want it to be? You feel far off from God. You feel maybe he is unhappy with you. Can we just reject that notion and say that today's the day of salvation, that God's door is open to you and he would gladly welcome you back into the house of God? with no conditions other than confessing that you need him, which is ultimately saying, yeah, I'm a sinner and, and I need grace. I need grace alone through faith alone for the salvation that Jesus gives me alone. This is what I need. Can we just say uh, thank you to God that the door is always open for his people? I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for, for the reality that no matter how much I screw up, no, no matter how often I, I, I mess up parenting, no matter how much I mess up being a good husband or even being a good pastor, that, that there's no such thing as being good enough. There's just Jesus is good enough and he, he welcomes me into his home every single day and there's always food ready. Isn't that fun about, uh, there, there's a season in my life where I remember no, no matter uh, when I went home, there was always food as a kid when I went back home. I could always get fat back at mom and dad's house. Right? And those of you know what I'm talking about, man, it, the, you, you walk into some of these homes. Some of you are like this. Some of you in the church are like this. If I go to your house, I know I'm going to eat well. Right? There's nothing else like that to know that the table is open before us. And then God says, I want you to set apart for me. The light is on. These are the individuals that need to be in this home, the ones that need to take care of it. This is the priesthood. And you can see all of these different pieces that they have to wear. There's a breast piece. It's made of gold. It's made of all of it. All of what the priest is wearing is actually the same stuff that the tent is made of. It's the same beautiful, expensive, golden topaz, beautiful pieces of linen. He wears an ephod. He has a pocket upon his breast piece. And inside of this pocket is what's called the Urim and Thummim. 
I don't even know if I say that totally correctly, but you don't know what that is because we don't totally know what it is. It seems to be that this thing that they wore, it was actually two pieces of stone. It, it, it literally means light and dark. And, and they think there was some writing on it, but ultimately we don't totally know what this stuff is, what it was. But he had a pocket, the priest had a pocket, and he would have these pieces of stone next to his chest inside the pocket. And when a decision needed to be made to know the will of God, they would use these stones to help make the decision, which seems kind of interesting. Now, there's a couple different ways people think it works. Some people think it's like casting lots, if you remember the New Testament. Maybe, maybe like, you know, God, do you want me to marry this woman? And you throw out the rocks, and if they land a certain way, yes. If they land another way, no. Or some people thought it was the light and the dark. The dark was one answer, the light was another. Should I marry this woman? They, they wouldn't know where the, the stone was, and they'd pull it out. They don't know. Ultimately, what they're saying, though, is that, that, that they were trying to figure out, trying to figure out, well, what's God's will? What does God want for us? Now, here's the good news for us and the new priesthood. You don't need to cast stones and rocks. That's good news, yeah? That You don't have to, I hope none of you do this at home. You don't have to say, Lord, should I marry this woman? And you take some dice, and then if it's odds, you do, and if it's evens, you don't. No one does that, I hope, right? No, we have, what we have for us now is we have the written word of God that's written on our hearts. We have God's word to help us make decision. So there's this uh, Urim and Thummim. There's these shoulder pieces. Uh, there were two shoulder pieces attached uh, to linen. Onyx stones were set in gold. One was engraved. And on these, so there's 12 stones on the chest representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's 12, uh, the 12 names of the tribe, six on one shoulder, six on another shoulder. And it's just beautiful and ornate and amazing. And it represents the people and here's what we need to learn about all of this, okay? Like I said, I'm not going to go super, super into detail, but here's what you need to understand. First of all, note how heavy it would be. Okay, it'd be pretty heavy. You're, you're, you're essentially wearing this very heavy gold and, and heavy linen, and, and you know, you, the priest has got to get dressed up every time he goes into the presence of God. This is a big deal. You'll see a little bit later that in order to get into the presence of God, the priests have to go through a, a particular ceremonial washing, a cleansing, like you got to take a good bath before you go into the presence of God. You had to wear this clothing. In addition, as these priests are being set apart, there's a bunch of verses in chapter 28 that, that show us the sacrifices that need to be made for the priests to enter into God. So essentially, the priests had to place their sins on these sacrifices so that their sins could be forgiven. And when it's all said and done, Scripture basically says, okay, the priest, even though he's done all of these things, right? he's taken a good bath, he's put on the right clothes, he's made the sacrifices, the, the Bible still basically says he still was an imperfect person. It still wasn't good enough. But it was acceptable for, for them uh, to go into the presence of God. So here's the first thing you need to understand about beautiful, and he's amazing. And so without God, without a priest, we get obliterated inside of this temple if we go into it. So this week, I think we were talking in the office a little bit about the tabernacle, right? That the priest had to go into one time a year and sprinkle with blood. Uh, have you ever read some of the stories, of, of just the crazy stories in the Bible about the tabernacle? The tabernacle represents the presence of God. If you remember, the Philistines stole the tabernacle. They like took it away. Uh, and we were talking this week about how how. The, the Philistines' uh, statues 
would fall over and break every single day. And they finally made the connection. We got to get this, this tabernacle out of our presence because it's destroying our city. In fact, some of you might remember the story. If, if you remember when we went into the, the tabernacle last week to that Holy of Holies, that altar, God says, okay, when you make this thing, it's going to be golden and it's going to have rings along the side and you're going to put poles inside of those rings. So when you travel with the tabernacle, men would have to pick it up. Several different men would have to pick it up and carry it on their shoulders. Now, if you live in a day and age without roads, this works really well, right? Because it's going to be smooth. Well, there's a story where they forget all about doing that. And instead of carrying it with the poles, who remembers what they do? They put it on a cart. So here it is on a cart, and it's shaking, and it's rattling. And there's this guy named Uzziah who goes, oh, my gosh, i got to save the ark. It's about to fall over. And he touches the ark, which is something you should not do. And what happens to him? He gets electrocuted. He gets wiped out. Now, God isn't saying to us that, that he wants to punish us or that he desires to punish us or that his, his presence is a condemning presence, presence. No, ultimately what he's saying is, He's saying that in order to be in the presence of God, you have to be perfect. Being in the presence of God is like being in the presence of an atomic bomb. It's because he is everything. He's infinite. He is amazing. Some of you have seen the videos of the blast in Beirut. Yeah? I mean, those videos are amazing. The amount of power that comes out of that, that space, however, you know, megatons or whatever it was, just an amazing, amazing shot of how this thing just 15 miles out. And God's presence is more massive than that. And so God's saying, okay, if you're going to come into my presence, you're going to have to do a few things to make sure that you're right before me. And so this man, if, he's, if we're going to be in the presence of God, he's got to represent heaven. He's got to have uh, the weight on his shoulders of the people. He's got to be willing to possibly die for the people. And he ultimately has to trust God. There has to be a huge amount of trust in God, that God's not going to wipe him out. He's going to have to have faith like no one's business. Now, how strong is your faith? I mean, imagine, now imagine there was a tent here, and you knew that there was radioactive material in that tent. Would you go into the tent? Not unless you knew there was a spider in there that would bite you, so you become Spider-Man. I know it's a stupid joke, but I, I'd be... I'm just saying. Then in chapter 29, like I said, they're set apart for all of this service. They go through a cleansing process. They're clothed with these elaborate garments. They're anointed with oil, which represents God's spirit. There's a sacrifice made for sin. All of these things are occurring. Here's a couple quick little lessons here. Number one, in order for them to get in the presence of God, they have to be clothed with these beautiful garments. Galatians tells us the same thing. In order for us to be in the presence of God, we've got to be clothed. But it says this, for us in the New Testament, because of what Jesus has done, we're clothed in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. So, so, so ultimately, Jesus becomes for us in the New Testament the clothing that allows us to enter into the atomic presence of God. Isn't that good news? The blast of God can't kill the sinner of God because... because in Christ, we're no longer seen as sinners unto God. We're seen as saints. Now, this is, this is really, really, I think, deep uh, and interesting stuff, okay? Because, because you have, in the Old Testament, you have this deep 
in, entrenched kind of tradition that there's going to be a tabernacle, there's going to be a priesthood that forgives sins, they're going to wear this clothing, there's going to be sacrifices made uh, continually for the forgiveness of, of sins. Uh, in fact, later when you get into the kings, we see that the tabernacle becomes a temple, becomes an actual building. And even today, the Jews in Israel are longing for the return of the temple. So right now, the, the, if, you, if, you're a Jewish, if you're a practicing Jewish individual and you want to practice Judaism, you feel somewhat alienated from God because you can't go practice these things. There's no priesthood. There's no temple. There's nowhere to make sacrifices. And they're longing for God those who are Jewish today who don't believe in Jesus, they're longing for God to come back and bring the temple back. They're longing still for a Messiah, which we know that the Messiah is Jesus and that Jesus ultimately ensures that we don't have to wear this stuff. So why don't I wear this stuff, right? Why isn't Jesse wearing an ephod and he doesn't have the stones and, and you know, I don't have a turban. I got a hat that says brotherhood on it. Right? Why, why, don't, why, am I, why can't I wear sandals? Why, why don't you wear this stuff? Because ultimately when Jesus came, Jesus shut this whole system down. And he replaced it with something even better. What, something that's really fun to do is to read through stuff like in Exodus and then also read Hebrews at the same time. Read some of the stuff in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and some of the stuff that's in, in Hebrews and you see the connection. So if you go to Hebrews chapter 10... And you see what he says in Hebrews 10. He says this. And by that, we will have been sanctified. That's set apart. That's the same language that was used for the priests. Sanctified means you've been set apart. You've made, been made clean. You've been made perfect. And that by we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The ultimate sacrifice is Jesus. And verse 11 then says, And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly, over and over again, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So now God in the New Testament has told us this sacrificial system, it had to happen all the time, over and over and over and over and over again. And sins were never taken away. It was never perfect. Verse 12, though, is the kicker. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he then sat down at the right hand of God. And by, in verse 14, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Why don't we wear this clothing? Because we wear Jesus. We wear him. We're adorned beautifully because he covers us. Now, I don't know what it's like to be you, but I know what it's like to be me. And I know that, that at times I still wrestle with feeling insufficient and not perfect. I know at times I still wonder if God really loves me. That's something that I ask every now and then. Lord, are you sure? I was telling Doug this morning when we were praying uh, for, for today, I, I told him we were talking about kids and, and, uh, and what it's like to, to, you know, raise four kids. He raised four kids successfully, I would say, from, from my point of view. Uh, they've done a wonderful job. They're here this morning. And, and, uh, and I was like, man, I feel like, like God, like, like what was God thinking giving me four kids? That's how I kind of feel. Like, what do you, and, and then when I think about leading a church, I'm like, Lord, what are you thinking? And ultimately, then I, I go back to, it's that, it's that beautiful reminder where God says that he's made perfect in our imperfection, in our weakness, and that God, God desires to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And then I realize, oh, okay, now that makes a little more sense. 
God says, I see the foolish thing. I see the, G- the Jesse, you're not perfect. You're not, you don't have it all together. You will do great showing my glory because when something goes right, everyone knows it's from, from God. Amen. It is amen. And I appreciate that. It takes a little bit of the pressure off. And the same way it goes for you as a parent. You're going to do everything that you can to raise your child, aren't you? To do it well. I mean, and I said it a few weeks ago, the amount of sacrifices that are made for parents to take care of their children is, is an, it's an enormous sacrifice. I've, I've never had to be more unselfish in my entire life. And it's difficult. And at the end, at the, end of the day, when, when your kids finally are grown up, when my children are finally grown up, and your children are finally grown up, you know that God is going to be good to them in spite of you, and, and they're going to carry some of their own responsibilities on their own shoulders. But ultimately, the thing is, is there's no such thing as a good parent. I don't know if you came here to have that bubble burst. Can we also just take off the, the weightiness, the weightiness of the ephod, the weightiness of trying to carry everything? And understand that we can't carry the ephod. We can't, we can't carry this stuff. We can't be in the presence of God. What do I need in my marriage? I need the gospel. I need the grace of Jesus Christ to make my marriage work. I need the grace of Jesus Christ to give me the ability to raise my kids. I need God to intervene where I can't intervene. I need God to let my wife know how much she is loved. Because I don't have all of the ability and all of the spirit and all of the heart to give her the love that she needs or to give her the love that she deserves. And husbands here, you don't have that power. You don't have that ability. Wives, you have to release your husband of that. Husbands, you've got to relieve your wives of that. And what you need to give your wives and what you need to give your husbands, what you need to give your kids and what you need to give yourself is the perfect priest that is Jesus who can give you those things. We need the gospel. It's always been about the gospel. It'll always be about the gospel. And so God sets all this stuff up to let us see that in order to be in the presence of God, we need the grace of God. We need the ultimate priest that becomes Jesus himself, the ultimate sacrifice. And I want you to take note in chapter 30, verse 1, it also tells us in addition to the light always being on, the incense is always on. God's aroma inside of this building. It's there. What does your home smell like? Does it smell like Jesus? Because, and here, here's the thing. I've got I've to uh, make a couple points here. First of all, I have four kids, so the home never smells totally great. To have the smell, the aroma of Christ, means that you understand that everybody that lives in that home is ultimately broken and fractured. Do you, are you with me? Nobody, nobody in your house has got it all together. And that includes you. So it's understanding and accepting that we're, and to a degree in this life, we're always going to be fractured. But then the good news is that if we recognize the grace of God, it should be a home that gives grace for imperfection. Right? It's being okay with your kids coloring outside of the lines. It's being okay with, with there being a, little, a few more dirty dishes in, in, the, in the sink than you really are comfortable with. It's being okay with the fact that the laundry isn't always going to be done. It's being okay with sometimes dad's got to make sacrifices to serve the church or to, or to help people. It's being okay with all of the, the, the weirdness that comes with being a family. 
And, and then likewise, when we bring that into our own home, when we recognize that, that ultimately we're a holy priesthood, it tells us in the New Testament that we're the priesthood. You're identified as the priesthood. You're a holy priesthood, Peter tells us. And we're stones being built up. And so likewise, we need to extend to one another not only the same kind of grace in our home, but we have to extend the same grace inside of God's church as well. Are you with me? That means we shouldn't be slandering. We shouldn't be gossiping. We, we shouldn't be complaining. We shouldn't be arguing. We shouldn't be fighting, especially about things that don't matter ultimately in the long run. You know, one day we're going to get in heaven and there'll be no more discussions about masks. That'll end. How many of you are just tired of talking about coronavirus? Just over it. To a degree to, to the point where I've almost committed to myself, I, I don't ever really even want to totally talk about it on Sundays. I want to just allow all that stuff to go into the background because it's just a bunch of white noise. You know what? It, it is time for us to be that priesthood. That is exactly what it tells us. It says, first of all, in 1 Peter chapter 2, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. Have you tasted the goodness of Jesus? The first step is to sit at the table of God, eat the bread of God, be in the presence of God. And then it says, because of this, this everything flows out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. Then in verse 4, it says, you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but to God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Here it is. To be what? A holy priesthood. To offer up sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay. Identity time. <laughs> That I, when, I, when I read this kind of stuff, there's little things for me as a pastor, all kinds of different experiences that come to mind. I think of those individuals who've come to me over the years and, and, and literally with disheveled hair and, and, and you know, a wrinkled shirt and, and ask me, are you wearing that when you preach? Because you're the pastor and you got to represent the people. And then in my mind, I can hear myself go, are you going to wear that sitting in church? Because you're a priesthood. You're the priesthood. Everybody is the priest. You don't have to wear a collar. You don't have to have the robe. Brian, you're a priest, bro. Did you know that? That's Pastor Brian over there. Have you not met Pastor Brian? You should meet Pastor Brian sometime. And his wife, Pastor Kathy. There she is. Pastor Amber, Pastor Andy, how you guys doing? Not just Pastor Brad, not just Pastor Jesse. You're a priest. And God says, you've tasted that he's good. And so you come to him as a holy priesthood. So in the church of God, we're gathered together as priests. And it tells us in the text that because we're priests, we're to offer sacrifices to God that are holy and acceptable. Now you've got to ask the question, okay, if I'm a priest and I'm supposed to offer sacrifices to God, what are these sacrifices? I hope you're asking that question. Because maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this before. Okay, I, I want it to lay heavy upon you. I, I want you to, to feel the, the, the sense of this because ultimately you can't carry it unless you see that Jesus carried it as the, as the perfect priest. You're a pastor. I, you guys are staring at me with these blank stares. Like you don't know. I don't know if I like that. I don't know what I want to do with that. Part of your identity as a born-again Christian who's been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus is that you are a priest. 
You know why else this is really beautiful? Because even though we do need to talk about being sinners, ultimately you're not. Ultimately, your, your identity is not. Your identity is holy and chosen. Come on. Come on. This is good stuff. This is good news. I don't want to have to convince you and twist your arm, but this is good. So let me answer the question here, and then we'll close in some worship. What are the sacrifices as a priesthood that we're to offer to God? What are they? Number one, number one, the Bible tells us that your body is the temple and that you're to offer your body as a living sacrifice. This has so many connotations, has so many connections. First of all, it means, it means wherever you go, you're ultimately a sacrifice. You're to live sacrificially. Uh, can, I, can I tell you a funny little story? My wife says, my wife has dreamed. I probably shouldn't tell you this because then it starts all kind of weird rumors that you're going to run with, and I don't want you to, to go there. So just let me say this in advance. My wife and I love you, and we're not going anywhere. But she says to me, she says, she's, she's seen the prices of homes going up, and she's always wanted to travel the world. She says to me, let's sell the house and travel the world. And I look at her and I go, what? <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's crazy. And I said to her, I said, we can't, we, we couldn't leave our church. We're in this season, we're in the season where, where we need to lead and we need to pour out. And, and she just looks at me and she says, that's the Christian life. We don't get to do all the things we want to do. We have to live sacrificially. And, and I'll just tell you that, that my wife and I, not just because we love you, but because we've tasted that Jesus is good, we're living sacrificially. We're doing things in this season that, that are uncomfortable and that are, that are hard because we want to see the gospel go forward. We want, we want people to connect with God. So wherever you go, you're a living sacrifice. That, that means you have to represent Jesus wherever you go, whether you eat or drink. It says do everything unto the Lord. You have to do it for the glory of God. You know what else this means? It means what you do with your body matters. What you do with your body matters. What you put into your body matters. Your body matters to God. And so you're not to use your body to, to defame or, or to bring dishonor to the Lord, but you're to use your body to live for God. Number two, the second thing that we are to do is give thanks. Hebrews, again, chapter 13, verse 15 says, continually offer up sacrifices of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So Hebrews says, you know what else is a sacrifice? Just say thank you. Just say thank you. I mean, I, I, I find that in our day and age when people are getting so upset that, you know, I've heard so many stories of people getting upset. You're too close to me. Why aren't you wearing a mask? You know, getting so angry. Why can't we just have a conversation of, hey, excuse me, I'd, I'd appreciate it if maybe you just take a couple steps back. I know it's a weird day and age, you know, but I'm trying to keep my distance. I'm trying to keep safe. Like, Whatever happened to those kind of conversations of, of gratitude and dignity? People are just upset and they're angry and they just look at you like you're dumb. Like, don't you know? And of course, there's that part of me inside that, go, that wants to say something snarky back, you know? And maybe you've done that in this season. This isn't a season to be snarky. This is a season to show gratitude, to show thanksgiving, to tell people, hey, man, you know, thank you so much for doing this. This is why I, I am so thankful for our staff in this season, so thankful for our elders in this season, so thankful for people who've stepped up 
uh, to make things happen. We've had to adjust, literally sometimes in some cases, in a few days to keep the church open, to, to do certain things, to, to continue to offer discipleship material. We've had to think on our feet, and I'm just thankful that we have a group of people that are willing to, to just live by faith, and then at the end of it to be, we're doing it, we're thankful, and we're filled with gratitude. If we will do that in our culture, do you think that we would stand out in an amazing way? Show thanks. Here's the last one. Acts of love. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Acts of kindness. Acts of love. Acts of service. You know what? This is a, this is a season for us to live outside of ourselves. To serve people. Because there are people all over the place who are, who are feeling bummed out and down. And we have, we have, my friends, we have the light of the world living in us. We have the perfect priest within us. He lives in the temple of our hearts. And we are ultimately that temple. Amen? Isn't that good news? I mean, you should leave here encouraged, filled with life, that you're identified as a priest, as a pastor. Now you get to act like it. Everyone's watching you. Everyone's looking. Let me read this song from 1863, and then we'll really sing. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence apart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And we look on him who pardoned us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're the perfect priest. We thank you that you've invited us into the priesthood. And we ask now, Lord, that we would live sacrificially, that we would not complain, that we would not grumble, that we would not be as the rest of the world is, divided and angry and hostile, but rather we would approach you in the throne of grace and we would exhibit the peace of God, the thankfulness of God, the grace of God. Would our homes smell of your beauty and of your grace and of your peace? And would you use this season to draw people unto yourself, Lord? For we know that the door is always open, the light is always on, and there's food at the table for all who will come. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that, that is wrestling through within their heart, that they're distant from you, that they're far off, I pray, God, that they would come into your house now, that they would simply state that they're in need of you and they would recognize, Lord, that they are close to you, not because of anything that they have done, but because of what you have done for us. Jesus, would you reconcile sinners to yourself now? We trust you for these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. Stand with us. Jesus is the cornerstone. Thank you, Jesse, for bringing us back to the foundation of our faith, the gospel message. When we sing, we're 
It's one way of worshiping our Lord. But worship is total dependence on him in spirit and in truth. And so you can go out today and go into our neighborhoods and your jobs and uh, be worshiping as we go about our, our daily business. Let's sing I Love You, Lord, and just sing it out to him this morning.
May the aroma of Christ be with you this week so that it touches all of those around us. God bless you guys. Have an awesome Sunday and a beautiful week, and hopefully we'll see you next Sunday. It's your breath in our lives.